0: Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today we're going to dive deeper into the New Testament, Uh, some of the events of the New Testament surrounding Jesus. Last week we introduced this series, and it was called Heaven in the Real World. We talked about last week how the impossible became possible when Jesus came to earth. We talked about some impossible things. One of those impossible things was myself being 6'2". It's never going to happen. One of the impossible things was me having a full head of hair. Also, never going to happen. But heaven did come to the real world in the form of Jesus. He came and he walked on earth. Mm. Uh, Fully God and fully man. We talked about that last week. We talked about how when Jesus was baptized in water that day, Matthew chapter 3, how heaven was present on earth. It literally was. How it's still present today. How Jesus came to earth with purpose, humility. He identified with our sin want to hear more about that, I have to go listen to the message from last week, but this morning we're talking about the miracle of the walk home. Miracle of the walk home. We'll be in uh, Mark chapter two if you want to turn in your Bibles or flip your devices there. To me, this is one of the most fun miracles, most fun accounts in all the New Testament. Uh, Although I think for any miracle of Jesus, they all would have been fun, right? There's no miracle that would not have been fun to see. I imagine it never would have gotten old seeing Jesus do these incredible, miraculous things. Leaving the teachers of the law, tripping over their own words at every turn, every time they were trying to trap him. The time when he, in the New Testament, he just disappeared and appeared on the other side of them and walked away. I mean, I'd love to see all that stuff. But We have to remember the disciples that were following him around here, these were just regular guys. Everyone who followed Jesus, they were normal people that Jesus called them. If you read the NT, though, the New Testament, you'll probably see that it was never boring to be following Jesus. You didn't know on any given day whether it was going to be a long walk or someone's going to be walking on water or anything like that, right? And there was probably a lot of, if you were uh, with Jesus in that time, there was probably a lot of, like, hey, did you see that? See what has happened? Before we read this passage uh, uh, we're going to look at today, I want to set it up for you. This news about Jesus, about how good he is, performing miracles, healing people. It had begun to spread all over the, all over the area. Mark one forty five, which is just before what we're about to read. It says that Jesus couldn't enter a town without being so surrounded by large crowds that he was unable to move. He'd go into a town and he'd just be smashed by people. So he would go back and forth between the towns and the outskirts in the wilderness so he could be alone. And that sets up this uh, text for this morning we're going to read Mark chapter two verses one through 12. Let's read it together today. I'm reading to you. out of the NIV it says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What a wonderful account of this incredible miracle that I would love to see. There's so much to unpack uh, this morning in the time that we have, and I want to pull a things, few things out from it. Uh, but we just got to understand, walking home seems pretty normal unless you've never walked home before. Pretty run-of-the-mill unless it's something you've never done. But in the end, the miracle was that the man walked home. Incredible meaning in that one man's walk. First thing I want us to see is this. No obstacle could keep the paralyzed man away, but he needed help. There's so much to this in this part about just how the man gets in front of Jesus in the first place. Like we said, Jesus had returned from the wilderness as had happened previously. As soon as Jesus enters the town, there's just people all over the place. He's smashed by people. We think this was most likely Peter and Andrew's house, the disciple of Peter and Andrew's house. The same house that we read in the previous chapter, that's where he was. Mark 1:29 tells us that before he left the city, that's where he had been, Peter and Andrew's house. And it even makes sense he'd be swarmed with people as he returns to Capernaum because Jesus had just healed Peter's mother-in-law the last time he was there. Mark one thirty-two says this, that evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus, all the sick, and even possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Even if you didn't believe in who Jesus was or who he said he was, this is something you'd want to see. Now, it's helpful for us to visualize what this house that they went to was physically like as we talk about it. Most likely just a one-room building. Houses in this time, in this area, they had flat roofs, always a stairway on the outside so you could reach the roof. roof would have been made of wooden beams with this, like, thatch uh, tile in between them. Uh, You could walk up there and cool off in the evening. That's what the stairways are for. You could walk up there and go up on the roof. And this paralyzed man, who he had no doubt heard about Jesus and the physical miracles that he was performing. Right? We just read about uh, right above the whole town gathered. He healed many diseases. And in his position, right, a person who's paralyzed enough that they must be carried, someone who can't move on their own. If you are that guy and you have half a brain, you're going to do anything you can to get to where this guy is. You got one chance. There's no doctor you can go to that can fix your problem, but you got one chance. So you're gonna go try to get close to the one who just maybe will be able to heal you. This is where we see three obstacles that the paralyzed man did not allow to keep him away one of them is his condition, one's the crowd, and one is the roof. The condition, the crowd, and the roof. Now, this is why I love this miracle in Mark chapter two, because this paralyzed man who eventually walked home, he had no power to overcome these obstacles on his own. Understand this, friends. He could not get to the house on his own. No matter how badly he wanted to get there to see Jesus, there was nothing he could do. So we enter into the stories, into the story, his best buddies. Anyone here ever live in a college dorm, spend any time in college? It's just how I imagine this. College dorms, you know, they're this amazing place. Even just that age is amazing time because everything seems possible. There's no ideas that seem like you can't pull them off when you're in college and you got all your friends around you. They're the, the craziest place where the craziest plans, they actually start to seem possible. You get a couple college kids together and pretty much anything can happen. I told you a couple weeks ago about my friend, uh, J.L., who was here. He was in my, my life group, my youth group in Seattle. And he was here with his family. It was so awesome to see him. Uh, he's serving the Lord today, partly because of uh, that small group and that youth group. Um, and J.L. and I, we got this crazy idea. I think he had the idea, and he drugged me along for the ride, actually. Uh, he had graduated from high school by now, so I was not his youth leader. So just don't hold me responsible for being a bad youth leader here. Uh, he had gotten this idea. I think this, he liked this girl. I don't really remember this part. Because that didn't really matter. All I know is he came to me. He was like, hey, this girl, I want, like, three Fridays in a row, I want to, like, figure out where she's going to go. And I want to saran wrap her car. Wherever she goes, I want, when it, she comes out, I want her car to be saran wrapped. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> you get the supplies, right? So we started figuring out where she was going to be. And she'd, like, go into a, she was in college. She'd go into a basketball game. She'd come out. Her car would be, like, saran wrapped. And we'd be like hiding in the bushes, right? And she didn't know who was doing it. Three weekends in a row, we did this ridiculous, silly prank. When he first said it, I was like, that sounds dumb. And then when we talked about it, I was like, yeah, I think we could pull that off. Sounds good. Now, of course, we have no idea what age these guys were in the story or anything else about them. Just all we know is that they were friends of the paralyzed man. And one of these guys, I imagine, probably says to the other, man, I've heard about Jesus in the house. He's healing people just like this. We got to get him over there. The other guy, one of his buddies, says, hey, did, did you hear about the crowds last time? He couldn't even get in the house. There's, we can't get him in there. There's no way. Maybe the third, third guy says, hey, we should at least try, right? There's no reason we shouldn't go. We'll just figure it out when we get there. This is what my wife would say. We'll just figure it out when we get there. We'll be fine. The fourth one says, because there is always one like this, the fourth one says, I can't believe I'm getting roped into this. This is not going to work. That was that probably would have been me, actually. <laughs> the paralyzed man, right, he's listening to them. He can't move. He's trying to get their attention. Uh, he's like, guys, I know I said I would maybe like to go to the house, but it's like miles away. I can't walk. How are we going to get there? Right, he's come up with these things. But at this point, these guys are together, and their wheels are spinning, and they're starting to think they can maybe pull this off. And they have heard. They've heard that when this guy Jesus is in the room, that miracles happen. So their wheels are turning. They're like, "Man, how can we get our buddy there?" So they're like, "You know what, dude? They probably didn't say, dude, but you know what? Hey, we've been lifting. We've all been lifting every day. I think we could just carry you." He's like, "It's four miles." They're like, "Dude, are you see? I mean, look at me. I can. We can carry him. It's fine." You see, the man's condition and the distance he would have needed to cover, it would have kept him from Jesus, but his friends refused to let him stay away. On the walk, one of them may have, one of them probably asks, what is the plan if we get there? And the crowds are even bigger this time. But they're on the way now, right? So the consensus is, well, we'll just figure it out when we get there. (laughs) We're already on the way. So they get to the house, and the paralyzed man, after having been jostled around for however long it took them to get there, he sees the crowd from a ways away, hears the noise, and he's thinking, oh, great. Just like we thought, so many people, we can't even get close to the house. But maybe a glimmer of hope, because he knows the guy who heals is inside there. Verse 2 says, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So they've gotten them this far, but this is where the wheels really start turning. They're going to need something besides brute strength here. Maybe they send someone around the sides of the house to see if there's another way in or a window they can you know, dump their friend in or something. I don't know. Maybe they look for somebody they know that's at the front of the line that can get them in, get them in, in with an eyesight of Jesus. None of that seems to be helping much, so they got no good ideas. So one nudges the other, and he goes, hey, there's nobody on the The other one says, that's because you can't see anything from up there. Why would anyone be on the roof? That's when the first guy opens up his bag and he takes out this little knife he's always carried. And before the paralyzed man knows it, the four guys are jostling him up the stairs. And he's like, why are we going to the roof? You see, the crowd was keeping him away from Jesus, but the friends refused to let him stay outside the house. So they get up there, the one who's got the little knife starts digging. Everyone carried little daggers in these days. So they've probably all got them. They take them out of their bag. Before they know it, they've got a hole big enough to lower their friend through. Right? They dig their hole, they're looking down, they're saying to each other, Hey, there he is, I see Jesus. The paralyzed man is looking at them, looking at the hole. He's like, Are you serious? You're gonna lower me through the hole? I know you've been lifting, but I mean, really, is this really gonna work? Surely the people who down, were down below, they were annoyed. Whoever was distracting attention from the important things they were doing with Jesus. They've probably seen the dust begin to fall, wondering what's going up on up on the roof. And then the men lower their friend through the hole. You see, the roof was between the man and the possibility of healing. But his friends refused to let him stay on the roof. Some of you are here, maybe listening somewhere. Maybe you're even here today, and you can identify with this. You had heard about Jesus. You knew people who said their lives had been radically transformed <clears throat> by Jesus. But your foremost thoughts were, you know what, I am way too messed up to go to church. Maybe you're thinking, if there is a God, he's not interested in talking to me. You might be thinking, it would be a miracle if I even got there. If I did go, there would be no one to sit with, so I'm not even going to try it. Those church people, man, if I went in there, they probably would look down on me because of how I dress. But somebody invited you to church or a small group or a coffee with their friends who are believers, and the thing is they wouldn't take no for an answer. And all the obstacles between you and Jesus, they just continually removed them. You see, somebody refused to let you stay away. Every time you said you didn't have a ride, they're like, you know what, I got a spot for you. Every time you needed someone to sit with, they said, you know what, saving you a place, even got some coffee for you. Every time you thought you would be struck by lightning if you ever walked into a church, they laughed. They said, yeah, me too. Yeah, I felt that way too. That's the story for so many of us, right? And that's the story for the paralyzed man. He had friends, who refused to let him stay away. They knew this was his one chance at healing, and they refused to let him stay away. And in the end, the miracle was that the man, he got up and he walked home. Church, all of us, we have people in our lives who they need to be in the presence of God. What we did this morning when we sang songs and we came to the altar and we prayed, there's people in your life who need to be in the presence of God. You can't go to their door and explain to them everything you're feeling about Jesus and how we can change their life. But God can do more in a moment in this place than we can do in a lifetime of conversations. You need friends who won't let them stay away. Let's look at what happens inside the house. That's where we see that only Jesus knew the man's actual need. The paralyzed Man's friends, they have managed to bring this crazy idea they have to fruition. They've lugged the guy all the way, or they've gotten him on the roof. they lowered him down in front of Jesus. Everyone's like, now what? Now the ball is in the court of the person that everyone came to see. That's because Jesus himself is inside Peter and Andrew's house. Our focus so far as we've looked at the story has been on that man that is paralyzed and his friends that carried him to the house. But look what verse 5 says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. There are a couple of things I love that are wrapped up in that verse. One of them is that statement, when Jesus saw their faith. I think it's worth mentioning what the men hadn't done. What they did do is they had a crazy idea that they managed to pull off. They didn't have an all-night prayer meeting. They hadn't, as far as we know, studied scripture for years. Of course, none of those are objectively bad things, but in this case, what these men did, whose faith that Jesus rewarded, they just took an action that they felt compelled to take. That's all they did. They didn't do any, check any uh, super spiritual long checklist. They just took an action that they felt like they were supposed to take. Sometimes, friends, I know I can do this, that when it comes to our journey with Christ, uh, we can overcomplicate it a little bit. Well, well, I would go do this, but boy, I better learn this first, and I better read this first, and I better this sin in my life, I better clean it up first. We'll spend days overthinking a course of action. What we really need to do is just go do the thing that God put inside of us. Sometimes God has put something in us, and we come up with reason after reason not to try, and what we really need to do is just put one foot in front of the other. Pick up our buddy and carry him to the house. And then we trust God with the results. Also, we see that Jesus does not say what we expect him to say. You know, we see this story so far, we think about the drama of the guys bringing him up on the roof, lowering him through, and we think Jesus is going to see him and be like, oh man, this is incredible, you're healed right away. But it's not the first thing he says. He sees the man lowered through the roof, and instead of immediately healing his paralysis, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. This is because the people saw the physical need, but Jesus knew the man's greatest need. Why did Jesus forgive the man's sins first? Well, what the man was looking for, what his friends had hoped to give him, was wholeness. Wholeness in his body. But forgiveness of sins was the only way for him to actually be whole. Even if he had been healed in his legs, but not of his sins, he would not actually have been whole. It's really interesting, in fact, that buried in the story of the miracle that happened here was what Jesus had actually come to do to this house. Look back at verse 2 where the large crowd had come. It simply says in verse 2 that Jesus came and he preached the word to them. He didn't come have a healing service. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just he came and he preached the word to them. Yes, of course, Jesus would heal and he would deliver because Jesus has compassion and love for the people like he does for us. But what Jesus had come to do, what he had come to the house to do that place, what he had been doing the chapter before, was preach about repentance and forgiveness. That's what he came to do. So when this paralyzed man is lowered before him, Jesus does what he came to do, and he forgives the man's sins. That part, I believe, uh, simply that we can't get away from, is that Jesus, friends, in this place in your life, Jesus always knows our actual need. We have our needs. I know I have so many needs I bring to the Lord every day. But Jesus knows my actual need. and Jesus knows every one of your actual needs. And our greatest need, friends, is that we have a need for a Savior. We've got many physical things we would like to happen. We want our family to be whole and happy. and, and We want to have the things we need. feel like we need to have. But our greatest need is our need for a Savior. It may be something else, though, that gets us in the door. Something as simple as, man, there's something I have been chasing. I don't feel like I've figured out what it is I'm supposed to be doing this life. I'm just going to go to church. Maybe that's what gets you in the door. Maybe there's, I've heard of this lots of times, a young couple, they become parents, and they decide they want to raise their kids in a positive environment. They want to raise their kids in church, so they start going. Sometimes we have some sort of disaster in our lives, and we're like, that is enough. I'm going to go to church and see if I can figure out what this is all about. Those are things, examples of stuff that gets us in the door. Once we get in the door, Jesus knows the need that's inside of us. And the greatest need that's inside of you and me is the same one that Jesus meets for the paralyzed man. It's the forgiveness of our sins. Now, for anybody in this house that we're talking about here who had a Jewish upbringing, they would have been realizing that the carpenter's son... Standing before them, he's fulfilling the prophecies that they'd heard about, that they had memorized. They were seeing it all come true right before their eyes. I have a couple scriptures up here for you, the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah 35, 6. Then, then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jeremiah 31, 8. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame. They would have had this stuff memorized and they would have realized, oh, my goodness, it is happening. Remember the lame will leap like a deer, verse in Isaiah, it's happening. You see, as Jesus met the need of the man that only he knew about, they began to realize who Jesus was. And as Jesus prepared to accomplish the physical miracle, one more thing we have to notice this morning is that, uh, number three, the most religious people did not recognize who Jesus was. part's really challenging to me personally. Uh, verses 6 through 11. Say this. Let's look at them again. Look at them again. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The reason this part is so challenging to me, friends, and I believe it should be to us as a church, not just this church, but the church in general, the big C church, is because sometimes we are the most religious people in the room. Sometimes I'm the most religious guy in the room. I know the most about church. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to miss it like the teachers of the law miss it, but sometimes we do. As we mentioned, those with Jewish heritage who had been raised in that culture, they would have recognized these prophecies being fulfilled here. But notice what the teachers of the law were doing. These were the ones that knew the law, knew the customs the best. These were the people that were to instruct everyone else on whether or not they were obeying the Jewish law well enough to have their sins forgiven. These were the ones that would have evaluated whether you were following enough rules to be pure or not. You see, they believed that only God could forgive sins and that even when the Messiah came to earth, he would not be a forgiver of sins. Make no mistake, all of the the teachers of the law, they were hoping that the Messiah would come. But their tradition had taught them that the Messiah would come as a physical conqueror. They were waiting for someone to overthrow the governments on their behalf, give them the physical power, the government, governmental power they believed was rightly theirs. You see, the most religious people in the room, they were not open to what Jesus was doing. The reason is because they had long ago decided what they were looking for. Jesus had come to do a new thing, to forgive sins, but that's not what they were looking for. They were not open to who Jesus actually was, which was the son of God come to earth. And here is this man in the crowded house saying to people, Hey, your sins are forgiven. You know what he's doing is he's taking their job. They were the teachers of the law, right? They were the ones that said, Well, if you accomplish all these things, then God will forgive you. And this guy stands in the middle of the crowd and he says, Your sins are forgiven. So these guys, they're not even saying anything out loud, but they're over there in the corner, right? And they're thinking, the nerve of this guy. Sins are forgiven. No one's allowed to say that except God. You're starting to sound familiar? It sounds a little familiar to me. <laughs> Man, what a crock. This guy is full of it. You hear this guy? Only God can forgive sins. We know that. Of course he can say that. He's got no proof he's actually forgiven the guy's sins. They're all not saying any of that, but uh, they're thinking all of it, and they don't have to say it. Because how many of you know that Friends, that Jesus often challenges what we think we know. Jesus often challenges what we think we know. You see, just like he knew the needs of the paralyzed man, he also knew the thoughts in the heart of the religious leaders, of the most religious people in the room. Jesus knew what they were thinking without them saying anything. And he called them out without them saying anything. But he only did it, I believe, Jesus only did it in this way because of the condition of their hearts. Because it's so true, friends, that Jesus often convicts us in our own hearts first. God God often speaks to us deep inside our heart before he reveals anything publicly. Now it's up to us whether we listen to God's voice and we seek forgiveness or not. Or we go ahead and we make a change that illustrates repentance in our hearts. But the longer we resist what he is saying, the more messy it sometimes becomes when repentance happens. Resist, you resist, resist, resist. We resist, resist over and over again. It sometimes becomes messy when we finally repent. We've all seen these stories. You've seen them, I've seen them. It's heartbreaking every time I read one of a high-profile Christian leader that eventually loses their ministry because they've got sin and deception in their life and it's revealed. And I have no doubt in my mind that at some point, they felt Jesus convicting them in their heart. I have no doubt in my mind that when people are doing dishonest things, uh, living in ways, doing things that the Bible does not condone, that Jesus would never condone, but doing it in the name of God, I have no doubt in my mind that they feel the conviction of Jesus. But when it becomes dangerous for us, friends, is when we've already decided that we know what Jesus is saying to us, and we stop listening. Sooner or later. Jesus is going to call us on it. Sometimes first quietly in our heart, but he will call us on it. We see here that Jesus calls the teachers out on their sinful attitudes. And our prayers, believers, my prayers a believer friend, is that my heart is soft enough uh, that I can hear God when he speaks. Christina, our daughter, has heard me say this a thousand times. It's not a question of whether or not God is speaking. It's a question of whether or not I am listening. Let us not be the ones, friends, that have already decided what Jesus has said. And then we miss the miracle of what it is he wants to do. Now, Jesus, in this part of the New Testament, I love it, because he has no problem proving to everyone there exactly who he is. Look at verses 10 through 12 once more. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. What a beautiful, poetic ending to this occurrence in the life of Jesus. What an incredible illustration of heaven come to the real world. You see, everybody there, everybody in the room, was forced to realize that this forgiveness that Jesus had brought was effective. This paralyzed man who suddenly stands up, he's uh, proof that the prophecy in Isaiah and Jeremiah is coming true. And it was obvious to everyone in that place that God himself had come near. And in the end, the proof of the miracle is that the man walked home. He came in through the roof on his mat, lowered by his buddies, and he walked out through the front door with that thing under his arm. I think if I had been there, I might have asked him, hey, what are you going to do with the mat? Put it on the mantle like a trophy. I mean, what are you going to do with it? Hmm. Can you imagine the scene when his buddies, who decided they were going to carry him all the way there, take him up on the roof, dig the hole, lower him. Can you imagine the scene when his buddies met him outside? Man, I told you it would work. <laughs> I told you he could do it. The one guy who had been the whole time, been negative Nancy, was like, yeah, yeah, I knew it would work the whole time. I just didn't want to say anything, you know. <laughs> Imagine the celebration. Within that man's walk through the door, friends, with his mat under his arm, it was this incredible meaning. There was physical healing, there was forgiveness of sins, which was the man's greatest need. But also, there was conviction of wrong attitudes, and especially, there was testimony of God's goodness. Don't miss the fact, friends. The very last thing there is that the immediate result was that the people praised God. Honor, friends, is always given to God when something is from him. Friends, this morning we need to let it rest on our hearts that the man needed his friends to get him to Jesus. There's people around you, friends. They need your help to get to Jesus. They need you to pray for them faithfully each day. They need you to invite them to church until they're so tired of you uh, inviting them, that they finally say yes. And the reason is, like we said a minute ago, God can do anything he wants in a moment. And God's presence is in this place when we gather together because we call upon his name. Some of you need to know, friends, also that it's okay to accept help. Some of you, man, you need someone to drag you there Sometimes. That's all you can do to survive it on your own. And when someone calls you and says, hey, I'll take you, I would just encourage you to let your guard down. Allow them to carry you into the presence of Jesus if you need to. We need to remember, friends, the most religious people in the room missed the point. At least at first. One thing that occurred to me this week when I read this is that we actually don't see the results of the teachers of the law. Maybe when the guy I picked up his mat and walked out, they're like, you know what? I think I may misjudge this Jesus guy. The most religious people in the room miss the point. Let that not be us that have already decided what it is Jesus is going to do. Most importantly, friends, you need to know today that Jesus knows your greatest need. He knows our greatest need, and our greatest need is the need for forgiveness. Our greatest need is for the new life that only Jesus can bring. You should bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're going to sing a little here in a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, your goodness is on display all throughout the New Testament. And your goodness is in display in this place and in our lives every day. Thank you, God, that you do know our, our greatest need. You, you knew my need for a Savior, and you sent your son, Jesus, to live a life with no sin, to die for it, and to rise again. Thank you, Lord, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. So, Lord, I pray that as uh, we get to sing, uh begin to sing here in a moment. I pray that your strong hand would be in this place, that you let those who, uh, they've been seeking you with the best they have, but man, it's been a struggle. Would you just let them know you're with them? For those, Lord, they don't know why they're here today, but something brought them here. Would you let them know, Lord, you know their greatest need. For those that just need healing to begin in their family, Lord, they, they need a miracle. I pray that you'd begin it today, accomplish it today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You do know our greatest need. you you're faithful and just to forgive us friends would you stand uh this morning Christina's is going to lead us just for a few moments so i'm gonna uh, just be down here by the front uh if you need to come pray with me accept the lord come find me rededicate your life would you stand thanks for joining us if you'd like to learn more you can visit us at engageboise.com have an amazing day